Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. And looks like we're going to get a beautiful day to get out and enjoy the sunshine, the warmth before we get a little taste of winter. So um, this morning, I'm pleased to share with you a, a passage from Scripture that covers three uh, events that form the preamble, if you will, to to Christ's birth. The one is the, the proclamation by the angel Gabriel to Mary, sometimes referred by theologians as the Annunciation. And then the second is the visitation of Mary uh, to her relative Elizabeth and uh, staying with her and caring for her until she gives birth to John the Baptist. And then the third is Mary's response to all these things that are going on in her life. And she uh, comes forth in, in a prayer, or what's sometimes referred to as a song, uh, that we call the Magnificat. And so we'll look at these three sections of Scripture, and then we'll draw a few lessons from them. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Gabriel here is referring to, to a, a prophecy, a messianic prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, which will be fulfilled imminently uh, in the birth of Christ. He continues, he said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Again, a, another prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 about to be fulfilled. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an important phrase for us 
that Elizabeth was inspired or fulfilled or filled with the Holy Spirit because she's now about to confirm the proclamations of what the angel Gabriel had said shortly before. So if there was any doubt in Mary's mind, it's now been removed. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary responds by, by saying, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has, regard, he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And as Janine has uh, prayed before, we, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to fill each of us afresh, um, that we might have a deeper understanding in what we would consider in your word this morning, but especially that you would give us the grace and uh, open our hearts to receive it, that we might be changed by it as we uh, continue to look into your word, seeking to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This passage from the Gospel of Luke, we see how, how the God of the entire universe purposes to send his only son to earth to take on human flesh and be born as an infant and to live as one created among those whom he created. And, and all of all the women to choose from to be the mother of his son, God chose a poor, quite ordinary Jewish peasant girl named Mary. Question begs to be asked, why her? Why did God choose to use Mary? I mean, after all, he could have chosen anyone. Why Mary? And that's the question we're, we're going to consider this morning. Why is it that, that God so often uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things? If we can somehow begin to understand why God chose Mary, 
And who knows, maybe maybe God can use us in, in some ways that we never thought possible. Mary was the only person present at Christ's birth who was also present at his crucifixion. Mary was the woman who saw Jesus come into the world as her son and leave the world as her savior. The Bible says that Mary was an ordinary woman with extraordinary gifts given to her by God as she presented herself to him as his servant to be used by him in any way he wished. And I know that there are folks in our church family who are in all different stages of their, their spiritual pilgrimage. Some of you are, are, are seeking. You're just beginning to investigate Christianity. Some may have just made a faith, a faith decision recently. Many in our church family have been walking with God for a very long time. I can tell the ones who are, they're the ones whose Bibles are falling apart and, and all worn out. This morning, I'm going to talk about Mary and one of the most exciting truths of Scripture. And if you walk away from here this morning, having learned nothing else, I hope you will know this, that, that God, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And with that, you, yeah, you, can be used by the creator of the universe. In dealing with mankind, God could use angels, and, and he has on many occasions. God could drop leaflets from heaven. Fortunately, he chose to drop manna, which was at least edible. But for the most part, as you check out God's historical record, the Bible, you see that God uses people like you and like me to further his purposes on earth. Have you ever been used by God? I can tell you that, that there's nothing like it. Your sense of, of self-worth will, will soar and a new dignity will develop in your life. And I, I don't mean that as a, a sort of prideful thing, but, but as a, a more of an edifying uh, sense as you begin to, to see yourself through God's eyes. And perhaps for the first time in your life, you come to realize that, that you are a valuable person and you can be used by God to make a difference. Perhaps you're saying to yourself, I don't think that's ever happened to me. I'm not sure that God has, has ever used me. At least not yet, anyway. Well, let me ask you, have you, like Mary, presented yourself to God to be used by Him as He desires? The word used here is, for our purposes, means to be put into action. God wants to put you into action. God placed you here in this church where you can and will be used by him in an extraordinary way. Does that sound exciting? Well, here's how we can 
can prepare ourselves to, to be used by God. The first is that we, we have to be humble. We've got to be humble. When you look at the, the life of Mary, you see that Mary reflected humility before God. Why did God choose Mary? Well, because she was educated? Nah, she didn't have any education to speak of. Maybe God chose Mary because of her, her socioeconomic status. Nah, she was poor. Maybe God chose Mary because she was mature. No, most scholars think that, that Mary was maybe 14 or 15 years of age when she gave birth to Jesus. Mary was, was simply living her life. When, when the Bible says an angel came to her one day announcing, verses 28 and 30, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Well, despite such a, a grand salutation, one fit for a queen, Mary, in verse 38, describes her state as what? As being humble. She considers herself a, a handmaiden, a bondservant. Basically, the Greek word there is used for someone who, who enslaves themselves to, to someone else, okay, indentures themselves as, as a way of, of surviving and, and making a living. She was humble before God. Humility means that, that you recognize who you are, a sinner, what you have, Nothing. And where you would be without God? Nowhere. That is being humble before God. But with such realizations also come anxieties, fears, doubts, insecurities. The Bible says that, that Mary was greatly troubled. The word for troubled here in the Greek manuscripts, is best translated as, as confused or, or perplexed. As if Mary's thinking, as her first reaction, well, why me? And then no doubt, all these other concerns start running through her mind as the angel then reassures her, do not be afraid, Mary. Afraid of what, do you suppose? Well, I think Mary has had to had to face four basic fears. I'll call them the, the, the fearsome foursome. It's the same four fears that often keep us from being used by God. First, Mary certainly had to face the fear of change. If God uses me, it's it's going to change my life. I mean, if you were in Mary's situation today. What would be going through your mind? Oh, no. What about my family? My friends? What about school? My career? What about all the plans that I've made? All the dreams that I've had? What's to become of my life now? 
Secondly, Mary faced the fear of criticism. You can also throw in there, uh, you can also throw in there condemnation. Okay, uh, it's the same thing, criticism or condemnation. Rejection, you could throw in there as well. It's all the same thing, just different degrees. Mary faced the fear of criticism. I mean, think, what, what, what will my friends say? What, what's, what's Joseph going to say? Worse yet, what will mom and dad say? Or here's my mother's greatest fear. She was always telling us growing up, what will the neighbors say? You know, that's what happens when you grow up in, in a South Philadelphia row home where everybody's so densely packed. You can have a conversation with the person sitting on the stoop across the street and not even raise your voice. What will the neighbors think? The third fear that she, she faced was the fear of the supernatural. I mean, the fear of being used by God, the same God who made all things. Not to mention this all-too-close encounter with, with an angel dude. I mean, it is way too scary. I mean, if I ever woke up and an angel was standing at the foot of my bed saying, Hail, Jim. I believe I'd be a little upset. And the fourth, perhaps the greatest fear that Mary faced, was the fear of anxiety. God can't possibly use me. I'm not smart enough. I'm too young. I don't know enough of the scriptures. Surely, surely God can't use me. Listen, God works through ordinary people in extraordinary ways to accomplish extraordinary things. I'll say that again for you in case you uh, want to write it down. God works through ordinary people in extraordinary ways to accomplish extraordinary things. Extraordinary people are just ordinary people who have faced the, the fearsome foursome. If you want to ride the, the ragged edge of adventure, if you want to feel true faith, if you want to know what your life can mean and what it can be, then present yourself humble and usable before God. Face the fearsome foursome and then step back and watch what God does. Yeah, but maybe you're still thinking, <laughs> I'm just an ordinary person. All throughout Scripture, we see again and again and again what God has done with other ordinary people just like you and me. There was Noah, Moses, Rahab, Joshua, Deborah, Gideon, David. There was all the prophets. And let's not forget the apostles, most of whom were, were just ordinary fishermen. They all they all had one thing in common. They were ordinary men and women who faced their fears. And so, what about you? Are you facing your fears? Are you, are you doing battle with the, the fearsome foursome? Mary did. 
and you and I can too, can do that too, when, and this is important, when we are empowered by God's grace. And that brings us to the second thing I want to talk about. We need to be humble, but then we, we need to become a trophy of God's grace. We need to become a trophy of God's grace. Now, I'm pretty sure most of us know what a trophy is. A trophy is something that is awarded or given to us as a reminder of, of a, something or a, a, a testimony of, of some achievement that we've done or some, some victory that we've accomplished. Mary was a young girl who was, was taken completely by surprise. She was ambushed, as, if it, as it were, by God's grace. She was highly favored. That expression basically means she was full of grace. Grace, as, as Seth reminded us last week in his message, is unmerited favor from God. God does not give us what we deserve. God gives us what we need. And so we are, in a sense, we're ambushed by God's grace. It's a grace that, that is unearned, which he has given us and saves us through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and his saving work on the cross. We ourselves are evidence of that work of Christ's victory. And as such, we become Christ's trophies. I'm going to tell you something. God's trophy case is not complete until you and I are in it. And there is a spot in God's trophy case for you. As a kid growing up, I, I wasn't very athletic. I was a nerd. Okay. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? I had a friend who, who was a rower, and his father had built a trophy case in the den in their house to display all of his son's trophies. And whenever I went there to hang out, I would look at that case, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I, I really wish I had a trophy. Sadly, that, that friend is long dead. His trophies are long gone. And now here I am today, having experienced something far greater than winning a hundred trophies. I myself have become a trophy. A trophy of God's grace. So what about you? Do you see yourself as a, a trophy of God's grace? All you have to do is come to a point in your life, like Mary, where you humble yourself before God. When you face the fearsome foursome, when you say to yourself that you need and want God in your life. And when you admit that to God, the moment you do that, God places you in his son's trophy case. You have been ambushed by God's grace. Look what Mary said in verse 48. 
For he, God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God has been mindful. Mary humbled herself in that she realized in her heart that God was the sovereign initiator. It was God's idea. God thought it up. Mary was ambushed by God's grace, and she humbled herself and let go of her life, her plans, her dreams, and God used her in an extraordinary way. She not only became his trophy, she became the mother of his son. And when you talk about humility before God, when you talk about being ambushed by God's grace, you also have to talk about repentance. If you don't have repentance, you can't be used by God. In the New Testament, the, the, the word to, to repent comes from the Greek verb metanoao, meta meaning change, noao meaning to think. The idea of the word is we change the way we think, and therefore we change what we do and how we act. Repentance means to make a 180-degree turn spiritually, to turn from your sin and turn toward Jesus Christ. It's easy to see who are really Christ followers and, and who are not. It's easy to separate the spiritual tire kickers and window shoppers from those who really truly want to know the Lord. All you have to ask them is, is one question. How has your life changed since you humbled yourself before God? No change, no humbling. That leads us to the, the third attitude I want to talk about. We need to be responsive. We need to humble ourselves. We need to become trophies of God's grace. And then having received that grace, being ambushed by that grace, we have to then make a response. We need to be responsive. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold the servant of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. In other words, here I am, God. And I'm willing for you to do whatever you want with me. Mary was responsive. She was willing. Have you ever told God that, that you are willing for him to do whatever he wants with you? It's a scary thought. Maybe you should make this your prayer. God's not, not like the least car leasing people who hide all the costs in, in the fine print beneath the, that attractive low monthly payment. No, God, God puts it right out there for us in bold to type. If you want to follow Christ, listen, if you want to follow Christ, it's going to cost you something. His grace is free, but following him comes at a cost. As you study the life of Mary, you see that it cost her her reputation to follow the Lord's call. Think about it for a moment. Let's, let's say that 
that you were Joseph. Put yourself in his sandals. You were engaged. You know that Mary's a virgin because you haven't laid a hand on her. And then she walks up to you one day, gives you a kiss on the cheek, and says, I'm pregnant, and you're not the father. God is. Oh, and by the way, the baby going to be the Messiah. I don't know what Joseph thought. can't imagine what Joseph thought. I can picture all the people in the town, that little town of Nazareth, gossiping, saying that, that Mary, oh, poor child, has gone insane. She's claiming that her baby's going to be the Son of God. And Mary, uh, she was familiar enough with the law to know that if you became pregnant while you were engaged by someone other than your betrothed, it was considered adultery. You know what the Jewish law demanded as punishment for adultery? You were stoned to death. The same was true for those caught blaspheming, as in claiming to be the mother of God. So Mary was dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. According to the, in the eyes of the people, she was twice condemned. And yet she says that she's willing to do whatever God wants. At the cost of her reputation, at the cost of her comfort, at the cost of her peace of mind. And yet she told God that she was willing to be used by him. She was responsive to his will. And I like this verse here, verse 46. Mary responded, My soul glorifies the Lord. Depending on which version of the Bible you have, it says exalts the Lord or magnifies the Lord. She was not only willing, but also she was worshipful. She bursts forth in a, a song of praise. She says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I appreciated Janine's words when we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. She says, oh, yeah, it's in a minor key, so it might seem a little, I forget the word you use, uh, somber. That was the word. might seem somber. You don't think Mary was somber? Yet, as Janine said, it's a, it's a song of praise. It calls us to uh, you know, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. And that's what Mary's saying, you know. Uh, I, I humble myself, but my soul glorifies God. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She was anxious, and yet, at the same time, she was enthusiastic. And if we're not enthusiastic about being used by God, then I got to wonder if, if we're really doing what God wants us to do. Our English word, enthusiastic, comes from the Greek word enthusiastikos. If you haven't already guessed it, one of my fun things is to look up the roots of words and the origins of words. You see, uh, the, our, our English word enthusiastic comes from the Greek word enthusiastikos. It, its roots are uh, en, meaning in, and theos, meaning God. And theos, enthusiastikos. It really means being in God. When we are enthusiastic, we are in God, or we are possessed by God, or we are God's possession. 
the word implies a state of spiritual excitement, the inexpressible, the inexplicable joy of being in the Lord. One day I I'm going to face God. One day you are going to face God. And he will simply ask me and you, what did you do with the life and the gifts that I gave you? Well, I'm thinking here, hmm, hmm. And some of us will say, uh, how about them eagles? Yeah, and, uh, you know, because you, you arrange your entire weekend around the eagles. Or maybe you get caught up every spring in, in March Madness. Or maybe you're thinking, God, I really love going from mall to mall to mall and getting a good deal using the resources you've given me. I got 20% off a new jacket. Oh, and by the way, God, I got an 18% return on my 401k in one year. And he is going to say, fine, you know, that, that's all good, but did you really present yourself useful to me? God will say he, he was tapping you on the shoulder. He was calling you into action. How are you going to respond to that? Well, but, but God, I, I, I didn't feel the tap. I, I didn't hear your voice. You know why? Because of the diversions and the dissipations and the distractions of this world. So we need to watch out for them. Are you really enthused? Are you really responsive to God's word? Can you say that you praise the Lord and, and you want to do whatever he wants you to do? Can you say like Mary, I rejoice in God my Savior? Well, as we wrap things up, let's look at what David said in, in Psalm 40, verse 8. He says, I desire to do your will, O my God. There's a, a difference between a desire to know God's will and a desire to do God's will. God is God, and he will communicate his will to you. I mean, most of it's already written down in the Bible. He will also speak to you through prayer and, and, and from his word. And the more, the more important issue in, is doing God's will once it's made, made known to you. Are you committed to doing his will? Not just knowing it, but doing it. Are you willing to do whatever God wants? Are you willing to follow God's will? He doesn't disguise it. He's saying, here it is. My desire for you is that you humble yourself, that you receive my grace, and that you respond to my plan for your life. So where are you in that, that process this morning? God wants so much more for you and me than, than a life of mediocrity, just being ordinary. 
God wants to use you to accomplish extraordinary things. And, and I don't care where you are right now or what you would have or have not done in the past or, or how inadequate you might feel. I can say to you with confidence, based on God's word, he will use you if you look to him and say, God, with the help of your grace, I want to be humble. God, I want to be responsive. Once you've been ambushed by God's grace and you're placed in his trophy case, your life's never going to be the same. Life is hardly ordinary when you're being used by God to accomplish extraordinary things. And it was true for a teenage virgin some 2,000 years ago, and it remains true for you and me today. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. and Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that through your Holy Spirit and, and the power of your grace that, that you would keep us humble kind of humility that Mary had that, that said that by your grace you are, we are willing to, to have you do with us as you see fit. Empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and equip us with your grace to, to bring about the necessary change in our lives that will enable us to be used by you as ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that is our prayer this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name.